Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Holly Rubenstein. I'm a travel journalist and editor. And here each week, I'll be speaking to a very special guest about their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Today, I'm joined by one of the world's greatest chefs, Raymond Blanc. As you'll hear, Raymond had a very humble start to life in rural France, and his journey to opening Le Manoir aux Quatre Saisons, the internationally renowned Cotswolds Country House Hotel where he's been the chef patron since it opened, is nothing short of extraordinary. For half of his life, he's held two Michelin stars, the only chef in the UK to have retained two stars for so long. And of course, in time with his success, he's travelled the world and has many stories to tell. I spoke to Raymond at the Chevel Three Keys Apartments, looking out at the glorious London skyline. I don't think I've ever met somebody overflowing with as much passion and joie de vivre as Raymond. I hope you'll be able to feel that energy and be as inspired as I was at the end of our chat. So let's hear from Raymond Blanc. Raymond Blanc. Welcome to the Travel Diaries. What a pleasure. Thank you very much, Holly. You know, it's funny. I lived above a Brasserie Blanc restaurant for 10 years. So I feel very familiar in some ways with your food. And now I'm looking forward to becoming familiar with your life's travel diaries. So it's very exciting. Well, I hope that my restaurant didn't disturb you too much. I mean, it was very tempting. Just lifting up to the third floor. Exactly. So, um, yeah, Yeah. it's wonderful memories. And I'll go back there every so often now which is oh, lovely that's great. Thank you, good yeah. start you're doing well <laughs> <laughs> so okay. obviously we consider you an honorary brit but of course you were born and raised in the franche comte region of eastern france is that right that is correct yes mm-hmm. uh, and also uh, i am an honorary brit uh, because uh, Queen has th- given me an OBE. Exactly. Uh, That's the official <laughs> way of being an Brit. But I would consider myself uh, at least 150% of a Frenchman, at least. And you may think that the mathematics don't make any sense, and <laughs> yeah. they don't. But emotionally, they make sense, because mm-hmm. yes, I'm 100% of a Frenchman, that is for sure, through my terroir, through my own village, my mom. You know, the education I was given, the rigor, you know, all that uh, learning that food is an act of love, sharing it is an act of love, preparing it, gardening it, you know, growing it, is all the whole family would grow the whole food and, for the, and the, the whole year would eat that food. Mm-hmm. So food is some, from something, something holy for me. Mm. It's, it's not just, oh, my little belly, all I earn is for you. So tell me about that. Tell me about that as you were growing up and your experience living in that part of France and family life. I come back from a very uh, poor family first. Mm. My father was a very gifted man, but he never knew it. He never dared because he was a working class person. Right. He never dared to, to, to follow his dream, never. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he suffered from it uh, yeah. for long. So I come from that working class family. And my area is between uh, the rugged Jura mountain, where you have some great one, okay, mm-hmm. uh, from the, the Savagnin, the Vinjon, the Trousseau. These are and, all wines. And, and between sandwich, between another region of wine, uh, okay, so that one is rugged and peasant. And then mm-hmm. 
just on the right hand side, you have burgundy, which is much more elegant, okay, with all the great Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and then not too far away as well, you've got Switzerland. Mm. So that's where I live. So yeah. it's quite a peasant, unsophisticated part of France, which taught me a lot. And of course, you've got to understand from the age of seven, I was earning my bread by working in the garden. Every day you would work in the garden. You finish your school, you went in the garden. You always, because yeah. the garden was a huge garden. It had to feed the family all year round. Completely farm so to table. It was always about you know, seeding or plowing, or it was about removing the stone which seemed to grow out of this garden or the grass. You know, then you had to plant the seeds and then you had to, to look after them, remove more grass. You know, it's an endless system. And then the harvest would come and you would have to put tons of peas and beans, you know, and top and tail beans. It was, then I would give all this food to my mom who would apply a craft. And the smell of all this, it was a still life. You can still smell it now. Oh, la, la, la. Yeah. This musty, rich, complex earthy smell was amazing and watching it it was like a painting of Bonnard Bonnard mm -hmm. could have done that yes mm -hmm. definitely and this is really a story of seasonality yeah. isn't it so it's, like, it's all about seasonality so that was that's my DNA that was passed, passed on is so, that why we'll come on to Le Manoir Le Quatre Saisons later on in our chat but is that part of the inspiration of the name very much so the Quatre yes. Saisons drive all what I, I, I do all what I pass on to my young people, all what I believe in, it drives... The first thing I did when I came at Le Manoir was to create a mega garden, a huge garden, okay? Yeah. Where the garden would become the canvas of my gastronomy uh -huh. and it would follow every season. It's, mm. It seems to me absolutely normal. And this garden now is heavenly, yeah. admired and loved by everyone. Actually, there are now 12 gardens in an orchard of 2,500 trees, wow. heritage trees, which tells a beautiful story. Let's pause there and start with the first chapter of your mm -hmm. travel diaries. And that is your earliest travel memory. What would that be? Oh, I remember it very well because I'm not well-traveled. Okay, Again, uh, we were working class people. Mm -hmm. So people, we didn't go to Nice or we didn't go to Rome or any exotic places like that. Actually, mm -hmm. the state would pay for my holidays. Really? The French state, yes, for every child from poor family who didn't have an income, a very high income, the state would pay uh, and you would go in a colony de vacances. And my first colony de vacances was in Switzerland. So effectively, mm -hmm. that was my first travel, okay, which was only 60 miles away. Mm -hmm. As a kid, you know, I was about seven. And kids have got lots of uh, imagination. Yeah. And I thought that Switzerland would be completely different of what I had known before. Yes. You know, that the cows would be green. You know, there yeah. would be pink apples and the chocolate. Well, there was plenty of it, by the way. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was expecting this country to be so different because it was a foreign country. Mm. And I realized that she was very much the same. Similar, <laughs> so yeah. it, was, it was a huge disappointment here. <laughs> On the other hand, it was, um, of course, there was plenty of great chocolate, chocolate. And equally, that was my first cigarette, mental cigarette. Oh, really? Okay, in Switzerland, which was not so good. <laughs> but really, Switzerland, I remember it as a very quiet, very organized, very aseptic almost, uh, uh, clean. But the wildlife, the mountains, the, the torrents, 
We used to, early morning, first thing, at 8 o'clock, we'd all get up, 80 kids, you know, and we would go all in rank, okay, down the valley to have our, our morning wash. In the, in the water. Into, yes, into the torrent, which had created, caved its way, created some natural bars, you know. Wow. <laughs> and really the, the the you know, that's a trout river you're talking about here. Yeah? Temperature yeah. was about seven degrees, <laughs> you know. Goodness. So believe me, you had to jump into it. And my God, it was freezing. It, but then right after, you know, when you get out of it, you know, you soap yourself, you get out of this yeah. beautiful, you know, nature's made, perfectly, perfect bathtub. You so felt so hot, ready for the day to come. Yeah. For me, that was my first travel, okay, Switzerland. Wonderful. So chapter two then is the first place that you fell in love with. Okay. The first place... I fell in love with is all about travel and a deep friendship mm-hmm. of a friend from the age of two who lived together. That friend at the age of 13, his family went away in Provence. Provence was like the end of the world and I was broken hearted because he was my best friend. Mm-hmm. You know, we went in the forest together, gathered the food together, you know, uh, did all the things that kids do. You know, it was my best friend. He would protect me because it was sweet and because and me at all time. Yeah. And he was my best friend. There was such a fantastic connection. So when I went to Provence, eventually after a year he had left, I went to Provence and his family. And I discovered truly a country which was totally, entirely different from my Franche-Comté. The Franche-Comté in winter, you've got 70 centimeters of snow. The winter lasts six months. You know, it's blasting with rain, with, with ice, with sheets of, uh, of hail. It's cold, less 20 degrees. That's the coldest part of France. So suddenly I see all these extraordinary colors, these blues like I've never seen, this marketplace with the fish which I'd never seen. Totally, everything was different. The herbs were different. The fish were different. The weather were different. The smell of the countryside was different with the wild thyme, the sage, the rosemary, you mm. know, in the garrig. It was the smell, the lavender, fields of lavender. Oh, my God, it was and the first time I saw the sea. The first time I yeah. saw the How sea. How old were you? I, I think I was uh, 13, mm. 13. So, so, you see, uh, so I was not, I told you, I'm not very well traveled. Okay, I took, I took that long to go in the south of France. Yeah. But it was an extraordinary d- discovery at all levels, culinary speaking as well. All, they used olive oil, we used corn oil, okay, or grape seed oil. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, there was 10 times more garlic than in Provence, and there was, we were all reekings of garlic. Okay. Yeah. There was these stews of bouillabaisse, which were divine, totally new flavors, you know, where the tomato was king. You know, and beautiful fat marmont tomatoes with all the herbs inside and the fish inside stewed slowly with loads of garlic. And then you did a mayonnaise called aioli and it was heavenly. It was, everything was new. Um, and, and what stage would you say that you fell in love with food or that you decided that food was going to be your life? Very late and I should have known better. But i tell you why. You know, I'm a post-war boy, okay? And I remember, because it's a lovely story, it's about my father, okay? 
post-war boy, okay, so uh, there was a lot of men who died, okay, on the battlefield, okay, so General de Gaulle stood up in front of France, and my papa, I said, France need children. So my father said, yes, sir, I'll give you seven, because it was normal, a family of seven at that time was normal. So very proud of himself, yes. okay, he came to my mom, I said, I am going to give France and the General de Gaulle, seven children. <laughs> and my mama looked at him. I said, no, Maurice, five. Yes, mama. And he built a house for five by himself with his hands. We're talking about with his hands and a big house. Wow. Double plots. I saw these men working until three o'clock in the morning. They would finish at the factory, you know, at the, at the time of uh, seven o'clock in the evening. Mm -hmm. And they would start working all night to build the house. I mean, so yes. that's this kind of work ethics I've been given. Yes. Respect as well. You know, respect of the nobility, the purity of work, you know, and, uh, and of course I would help. And so when did food professionally enter into your life? It hardly didn't, actually. And that's strange because uh, uh, on my mother's side, uh, you had geniuses. I had an aunt who had an amazing restaurant rural place, but she cooked, oh la la, she, they were cooks, they were great cooks. My mother was a highly creative, my grandmother was a highly creative cook, she was, she was always called by the prefect, or if a minister came in Besançon, she would be the one cooking, you know. Wow, so yeah, <laughs> no, really respected. Yeah. Oh yes, she would do a liqueur of milk with tarragon, she would do blanket de veau with yogurt and lemon, she would do all sorts of extraordinary concoctions. Yeah. So the food came much after because in the past, the women were taught how to learn. Me, I was a minion. Me, I was growing the vegetables with my you papa. You were doing the physical labor. The physical labor. The mm -hmm. girls were learning. So I was watching. I was a minion of the kitchen. But you okay. were observing? But I was always observing. It, and actually, I can tell you when it came exactly the moment. Uh -huh. It was the end of the season, November, and I had harvested wild asparagus, wild, all the wild mushrooms varieties. We had sold them to marketplace. We harvested the berries in the wood and so on. And we sold it to restaurateurs and, and, and uh, in the marketplace. And I had loads of money in my pocket. I was 14. I felt so rich. Yeah. So rich. And uh, it was 12 o'clock. And for a Frenchman, well, it's 12 o'clock. The stomach... The gastric juices start to turn in the stomach. Mm. Whether you're 12 or 50, you know, the same 12 o'clock is a sacred time in the day because the Frenchman must eat. Mm. And suddenly, I was by that restaurant called the Pokerdas, which is the oldest restaurant in, in Besançon. The oldest uh, restaurant near to where you grew up? No, in Besançon, yes, where I grew up. Yes. I grew up in a little village called Saône, uh, six miles from Besançon. Right. And the Pokerdas was in Besançon, on a very old street. It's the oldest restaurant. And I smell this extraordinary perfume, very sophisticated, very layered perfume, scent, which was escaping from that restaurant. And suddenly it hit my tummy, you know, and yeah. my senses. Yeah, yeah. So, and I was very tiny. Okay, I was 14, but I looked about 12. So I entered the restaurant and, uh, and asked, there was a sommelier who was there, and I uh, asked him, Monsieur, what are you cooking today? What, what I'm smelling? What are, ah, we are preparing the rognon de veau à l'Hermitage, with red, the kidneys, mm. the veal kidneys in red wine. Yeah. 
Most never a, a family in a, coo a cook would, would, coo would cook at home. So I said, may I, may I eat? May I have it? I said, of course, young man, you sit down. And he was wonderful, this man. And he was master of wine, okay? And I said, could I have a glass of wine? <laughs> so he looked at me, you know, because he, he could see I was very, very small. Yeah. And could I have the best wine you have? Okay, so, and it was amazing because he took half a bottle of Côte Roti, mm -hmm. he opened it, which was an expensive one, from the Rhone Valley, and he poured me a little glass to go with my Rognon. Ah. And truly, it was as close to heaven that I, I could have been. I had this marvelous man who was so kind to me, made me discover a wine which completely harmonized itself. Was, they were both friends, they were made for each other, and it was heaven. So that was a big moment. But then it went away, instead of saying, one day, of course, Raymond, you are a born chef. You have yeah. come from a family you know, which loves food, who just cook food, grows it. But no. Yeah. And then I was lucky. There was always a lucky break. And it was a beautiful summer day with a, the wind whistling into the trees. You know, and it was a beautiful summer night with gentle breeze. The, it was a big terrace, very posh terrace. Yeah. Okay, and you had the... Maître d'hôtel with black tie, you know, carving and flambing, the crepe Suzette. You had the commis and the chef de rang with their Bordeaux jacket, silver epaulette. It was like a ballet. Yeah. And I saw the guests holding hands, the lovers holding hands, saying, I love you toujours, forever, encore. And I saw this scenery, this food scenery, and I fell completely in love with food. Not to be the waiter to serve, nor the maître d'hôtel, but to be the chef who creates this extraordinary artwork. Yeah. So I, the, the day after, I went to have an interview, and uh, the, the boss was gray, gray hair, gray eyes. He was a very old boy. He had done it all, yeah. old school and tough and rugged. And he listened to me that I'm going to be a great chef one day. You know, he listened for about half an hour. He <laughs> said, okay, young man, I'll give you a job as a cleaner. Yes, sir. So yeah. I took the job as a cleaner, and in no time I became the best cleaner. I cleaned these very tall 18th century mirrors on the ladder. That's with that work vinegar. ethic. That voilà, you, I had all this work for me. It was so easy, mm. and I did that job. Well, beautiful. Everything was clean. It was like Versailles, like La Galerie des Glaces. Wow. It was that good. So and everyone loved me because I did my job well. After yeah. three months, I was uh, promoted to glass washer. I bought my own linen cloth, you know, with the best linen, which would leave no thing. And the glasses were beautiful, all unblown. And the French at the time would drink at least four to five glasses of wine. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, it was serious so drinking. The, glass, the okay. glasses were important. <laughs> and, yeah, the glass, but beautiful. They were fragile. It was a huge breakage. Yeah. And I became the best glass washer. And I caressed my glasses with my linen. And in six months, I knew all my wine, my Shiraz, uh, from my Pinot Noir, from Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, all the Provence. I knew all in six months. And I was reading, I was reading every night all the great classic of food, food, food nutrition, food science, food environment, food family, food community, food, food history, everything. I read every great classic of all the great chefs. 
and I would cook for my friends all night. Yeah. And I didn't sleep. I just was completely in my world of food. And uh, then I was uh, promoted as a waiter, mm-hmm. and everything went wrong. Because I told the chef, so I could taste, I was excited, I was coming closer to the kitchen, so I could taste the food. Yeah. And I started to engage the chef, making, hopefully making him as a friend, tasting the sauces. And, uh, and it was not my friend. No, <laughs> I missed it. He was a very tall so giant. You know, I was suggesting this. You know, and it, it didn't took, go down one, well. No, no, no. And he took a cup upon and just smashed it in my face. His eyes got darker. His moustache bristled. He smashed oh, a pan right. in yeah. your yeah. face? Broken, fa- broken jaw. <gasps> Hospital. Oh, my gosh. So on that day, actually, it's interesting. That's when I started to travel, really. Yeah. On that day, I lost my, to- my jaw. I lost my teeth. My egos were seriously bruised. Yeah. But also, I was also asked to go to Great Britain. So I didn't come like Napoleon onto a white horse <laughs> in Great Britain. I came very humbly. But that idea of touching excellence one day was so inside me. Yeah. I was pregnant with it. So chapter three, yeah. then, is the trip where you learned the most about yourself. Was that the trip then coming over here to yes, England? you could say so. And that's when I found the best time to open my restaurant. Mm-hmm. Okay, in quatre saison, okay, in 1977, when the whole of England was striking and you have an interest rate was 17%. It was crazy. <laughs> so let's make a, a French restaurant. That's what England needs. <laughs> yes. yes. Let's do it. Well, so when, when you opened it, what were your dreams for it then? Well, my dreams were not, uh, you know, creating a three-star Michelin. My dream was to create beautiful food, which I knew from my, my mom. Mm-hmm. All this philosophy she had deeply uh, rooted inside me, uh, creating a team around me uh, where respect would be an important part of it, uh, creating an, an energy which is positive, powerful, and a creative energy, uh, and I, mostly I did very much my mum's food to start with. And everyone loved it. Yeah. It was in no time. It's amazing. Bad news go fast. But good news even goes faster. How exciting. And in no time, in no time, in, in two weeks, the restaurant was completely full. And I had little... It was a tiny little place with 40-seater restaurant with red and white tablecloth, six or seven hand, cheap prints of Paris on the wall. I cut my own cockerel and I painted the faces bleu, blanc, rouge. You know, and, and <laughs> in the case 19th, anyone wasn't yeah, sure. Uh, but what is most important, beyond the star Michelin, because I'm not a mercenary, I don't work for stars. The stars are a byproduct okay, of quality. I've seen too many young people losing their life or... or because uh, they're so focused. Yeah, so focused on star. Whereas for me, the star Michelin is an, or any star is a byproduct of, of the quality of work, consistency, the love and the hospitality and the experience that you give to your guests. So you don't feel this, you don't feel pressure because you've maintained them for so long to carry on maintaining them? Well, there's always pressure, but it's, yes, and you don't, you want, no, 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 you don't want to maintain, you always want to improve, always, because if you, if you maintain, you out. Right. In no time, you out. It's about innovation. Constant, reinventing ourselves. And London is probably the best canvas 
to show. Because here in London, you've got more about 300 or 350 languages or dialects being spoken, and there's many culinary expressions. It's a hub of creativity. It's a hub of energy. It's amazing. London, I love London. Mm. I really love London because there's so much power. Yes. And uh, you know you feel it, and nobody, people dress as nobody's judging you. You know, uh, neither on your color of your skin or you, where you come from. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful, clean energy, creative energy. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK. And in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. So, uh, Raymond, let's just pause there for a moment um, and move on to chapter four, which is your all-time favorite destination. What would that be? As a world... No, it's got so much beauty, so much, uh, so much beauty has been created by man. Yeah, I loved Kachin in Malaysia, oh. close to Langkawi. Right. Oh, I've never seen that in my life. What never. is it like there? Well, it was uh, coming into a different world. It was like you were transported back in the 15th century. Wow. And it was a big cat, a huge cat, about five meters tall. It was called a city of cat. Huh. But beyond the city of Cal, the city was full of uh, you know, 18th century, 17th century uh, little houses. But I've never seen people like that. What shocked me the most is the people. Yeah. Because you knew you were, about, you were entering a place 
which in terms of uh, architecture didn't have very much to offer besides that huge cut in the middle of that city, okay, which I found very odd, yeah, yeah. Okay, but it's the people who made that city because they were, they were people of the world. They were people born from the Portuguese, the French, the Chinese, the Malaysians, the Indians, the English, the Dutch, who had invaded, who had been colonizing this part of the world. Mm. Layers after layers, you know. And the people had eyes, you know, with blue, with purple, uh, sharp, you know, dark, dark brown with, with, with purple and green. I've never seen a so facial, facial, dif- totally different facials. You know, it was unbelievable. I've never seen a mix. This wonderful melting pot of different religions as well, which were actually living very happily together. Yeah. And it was a true discovery for me. So chapter five is your hidden gem. What would that be? My hidden gem uh, is actually my Japanese tea house garden. Because I'll tell you why. This garden was uh, of such importance to me. When I, fell, I went to Japan, I fell in love completely. I was a young chef, I was a champion okay, of Great Britain. And in Kyoto, I saw this garden and I completely fell in love with Japanese pottery. I fell in love with Japanese food. I fell in love with, mostly with Japanese garden. And I saw lichens that I've never seen, which were purple, green, yellow, you know, and which I wanted to. And immediately, said, one day, I'm going to create this garden at the Manoir. That's it. At the Manoir. At the Manoir, of course. And then we created a Kyoto house, a tea house, proper tea house on the side. That's where, in this Japanese garden, when I'm exhausted, when I'm tired, when I am under pressure, stress, I go behind the Japanese garden because it's total serenity, it's total beauty, where nobody can possibly see me. And I go behind a big tree and I just sit and stay until, and I breathe. And that's, to me, that's the best place to be. And that's my little gem. Gorgeous. In contrast, then, chapter six is the place that you'd never go back to. Where it's been most memorable for the wrong reasons, maybe. And when I came in here, I was about to say Barokai, which is a beautiful island uh, of the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Everything was wrong because it was a young, it was made a long time ago. Uh, that's about 15 years ago. And, and we were beaten by insects. The shower was a bucket of water where you have to put water into it and the, the water would drip on We got food poisoned, you know. Uh, like a really impact your yeah, enjoyment yeah, of a yeah. place. Um, but actually... It was a place I thought I would never come back, but I think I've, I had a lot of friends in Raymond Yvasco because they changed. It's absolutely a paradise now. Yeah. And there, you have the most beautiful sunsets in the world you can get. They are purple. They are dramatic. They're red, vermilion, yeah. ruby. They, and then you've got millions of bats, huge food bats, flying through that fairy of colors. Uh. So, so then, probably, yes. So it might be a place that you'll give a second chance to. So chapter seven, then, is your next big adventure. Well, my next big adventure is in two weeks' time. I'm going to go uh, for the food festival of Hong Kong, and I'm going to cook 
my heart out. I've been in China about 20 times. Wow, and that's I, a lot of times. I, I, was, I went to Washihan, where I wanted to create a tea bar because I fell in love with their teas. So I wanted to study the black teas, the green teas, and all the different teas, different um, processes, you know, and, and to create a great, fantastic bar tea in London with a tea sommelier, you know. So it's still a project within my and that, head. Is that coming up potentially? Mm, yeah, that could, that could well happen. Oh, wow, so it's really about curiosity, about discovery. Wonderful. Finally then, Raymond, uh, what is at the top of your bucket list? That's chapter eight, our last chapter. Well, the top of my bucket list I just found. It took me five years to find it. And um, I can tell you it's a part of France I love uh-huh. so very much. La Provence. Okay. I really fell in love with this and always love this part of the world because, of course, there's sun, there's light, is special, the food is light. So basically, I, I have found a beautiful little flat oh. okay, uh, in a place very close to Nice. So I think uh, that's my... The top of your wish list has been granted. Yes, oh. just... Just, just how exciting. It's just being done. So, and I think that's the most beautiful part of the world. Anybody who can have his dream being uh, achieved, I think is a very lucky person. And I, yeah, I'm a very privileged and a very lucky person. Well, you worked very, very hard for it. So I, I think it's so well deserved. Thank you so much for your time, Raymond Blanc. Those were your travel diaries. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you, Oli. That was the legendary Raymond Blanc. It came as no surprise to me to hear that 34 of his protégés have gone on to win their own Michelin stars, including Marco Pierre White and Michael Caine. That passion and work ethic is infectious. Balmain Le Manoir au Quatre Saisons celebrates 35 years this year. For a special occasion, I can think of nowhere better to visit. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then please hit subscribe and leave a review. And I'd love to hear from you. You can also find me on Instagram at Holly Rubenstein. All that's left to say is thank you so much for listening and I'll speak to you next time. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk 
forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.